Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Carrier. Turn to the experts. How can I help you? Hi, Jim. How are you today? Wonderful. How about you? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. I have a new home that came with storm shutters. The uh, shutters are in the garage along with a box of what looks like the screws that the shutters are fixed to. And I wanted to ask for advice. Should I go ahead and get those uh, those screws um, set up on uh, the sides of the windows? And the storm shutters look like just metal plates. Should I upgrade? Oh, no. I mean, metal plates should work just fine. Okay, and then should I be proactive and and have those uh, bolts installed right now? It depends. Are are they the type that put a wing nut on the top to bolt the uh, plates into place, or or do they just use screws that's going straight in, and that's that's it? That's what's holding it. I I don't. Uh, I think they're they they screw into the side of the home, okay. and then the shutters go on top. Then I personally would probably wait until there's a storm coming, which, hey, that could be next week the way things are going right now. But uh, Yeah, true. And then, and then get it ready because it really won't take that long to get it ready. Uh, okay. And you don't have to look at those things sitting around your windows all, all the time then. Yeah, that's true. Um, any suggestions on – so you recommend that I just use what the builder – gave me, but there, are there any other uh, preparations that I should make in addition to the storm shutters, anything that's related to the windows? No, because if, if those cover the windows completely, you're good to go with that. Uh, the only other things I would tell you to, to really, that I think people miss far too often, is trim the trees. If, if the trees have uh, limbs on them, and the wind can't blow through it, that tree is more than likely the ones that are going to get blown over. Uh, and you don't need it breaking off limbs and stuff as well. So by trimming and thinning the canopy of the tree, the wind is able to blow through the tree instead of blowing the trees over. And, of course, you don't want any loose materials out in the yard, but that's all stuff to secure once a storm is coming in. The trees is something that you've got to plan ahead and have that taken care of ahead of time. Okay, great. I really appreciate your advice, sir. You bet. Take care. You too. Goodbye. Bye. And then uh, the other things that I personally would do, in fact, I just did it this week. If you're going to have a generator, make sure it's serviced and ready to go. I have two generators that I I just uh, did all my maintenance on them this week so that they are good to go. I don't have to worry about it when the storm's coming in. Uh, One of my generators works off gas or propane and uh, I, I like that because you know once the storms hit you just don't know availability of fuel and stuff later in any given area so I can make a decision as far as which fuel I want to use at that point but a whole house generator it is really a nice way to go and you can have those hooked up on uh, natural gas or LP if if uh, you don't have natural gas and have a tank tank in the yard that you want to hook up to or something so you've got choices as far as generators those are going to be your biggest things the loose stuff 
you got to pick that up when the storm's coming and secure everything. You don't want chairs flying and tables and all that kind of stuff. But it, it's the, the one thing for long-range planning are keeping the trees trimmed and your generators ready to go. Now, if a storm does come into the area, obviously you got to be prepared and have water ready and stuff like that. You're going to need drinking water and everything, but beyond that, make sure you've always filled all your tubs with water so that you've got water for flushing toilets and stuff as well. You know, we don't think about these things that we always think, oh, the water's going to be running the whole time. It may not because if the power goes out, the pumps that run the uh, water lines can go down, and sometimes it can take a week to get that stuff back up. So the more prepared we are, the better. Let's head over to River Oaks. Hello, Rob. Welcome to WDAP. Yeah, greetings from beautiful downtown River Oaks. <laughs> uh, I know, uh, you know, today is kind of a throwaway type deal. You get, you get uh, something wore, about half wore out and they throw it away. But I've got some old hand saws that I like to use, and they're needing sharpening real bad, and I can't find a soul that will sharpen a handsaw. Any suggestions? Yep. You need to check with some of the uh, old Ace Hardware stores. Okay. Uh, both Ace and True Value still have, uh, not all of them do, but a lot of them still have a service set up where, you know, they'll take the saw and they got a place that uh, sharpens them and they'll get it back to you. All right. Good deal. I'll try them. All righty. Thanks, sir. You bet. You take care. And and he's a hundred percent right. People throw stuff away, and you know they get a dull saw and they want to toss it instead and get a new one instead of just getting it sharpened. Um, I was doing some work out at my house. Well, you know, I just built that wooden deck, and one of the things I had to get to trim off a little piece was get my handsaw out. And I pulled it out, and my guys were using it, and they just kind of tossed it off to the side. I said, "Hey, don't be throwing that thing around like that." I've had that handsaw for 35 years. I'm not going to tear it up now just because I'm letting you use it. You know, you got to take care of tools, and they, they last you, but so often people just they don't take care of them. And hence, we got to throw away society, like, like Rob was saying. I had another one come in from an email this mo uh, yesterday afternoon, actually, and it's uh, from Vernanda in Wiley. Have received so far three different company estimates, one for nine piers, one for 11 piers, including one interior pier. Another company coming in at 10 piers with a suggestion of four interior piers, not included, add-on as a must. How do we determine which is accurate and who to choose having another two estimates next week? You're going to get so many estimates, you're going to be so confused, you won't know which way to go. But what questions do we ask? How do we know which company to choose? All offer transferable lifetime warranties. All have four to five customer stars. Well, first thing I'll tell you is, people, you're overlooking these customer stars. Too many companies use their own employees to put those stars up there. It means nothing anymore in our society. We have so many services that will get you all the customer stars you want for a fee. 
it, it really has made that to me useless. But beyond that, how do you know about a foundation company? First thing, how long has that company been in business? Because that lifetime warranty is worthless if that company goes out of business. So you want to make sure you're dealing with a company who's been around for a long time and isn't going anywhere. Next thing, there is the Foundation Repair Association. It's the National Foundation Repair Association. If they're not a member, chances are good they're not worth their weight in salt. So I, I wouldn't bother with them because they're not keeping up with what's going on in the market. They're not keeping up with uh, training and different things like that. What the National Foundation Repair Association does is they have uh, meetings every other month. Then they have an annual seminar where they hold classes eight hours all day long, training on different things related to the industry. And if somebody's not willing to put that little bit of time into it, do you think they're keeping up well enough to take care of your foundation problem? Chances are, no. So I use that as, as a big guide. And they have insurance requirements to, for membership and stuff as well. So what are you asking these people for insurance? You want to make sure they're carrying general liability. You want to have workers' comp. So if somebody gets hurt, uh, this is all stuff that, yes, you want to make sure that they're carrying. The next thing, are they going to pull a permit? It amazes me how many foundation repair companies don't bother pulling the permit. And if they don't pull a permit, they're shortcutting on that. What else are they going to shortcut? Because one of the things that's required in order to pull a permit is an engineer's report. Now, that doesn't mean that the engineer is going to necessarily come out and do a total review of the property and stuff like that. But it does mean he's at least looking at the drawing should be looking at the elevation readings. And again, if the person is shortcutting and not doing that, are they really doing the job you need? Probably not. So there's some guides you can take a look at to see if it's somebody that you want to mess with or not foundation-wise. John, welcome to WBAP. <clears throat> How can I help you? Uh, well, thank you for taking the call. I really appreciate you. I was just listening, and I thought, well, I can get some expertise uh, advice from you uh, on the phone. So I have a, quick, a couple of questions for you. So real quick, pair and beam or slab? Because I'm looking at putting uh, a new home down on some land, and um, I just didn't know if, you know, the you know with pair and beam, you, you can get access easier to all the plumbing underneath the house. With uh, slab, uh, you're having to run all that through that concrete, and then if something happens, you got to repair it. Unless, of course, you're telling me that now the way they put down slabs with maybe the rebar in there that you're not getting that as long as you're soaking the ground. No, you can still get movement. Okay. Okay. So would you say, in your expertise, what would you still recommend people to do? Would you say, now, well, is it just a matter of preference? Because obviously I'm pairing beams going to shift, but then you can get under there. And Correct. if you have those those units that spin around, you can adjust things. It is typically cheaper to do foundation repair on a pier and beam block and base type construction. Uh, it's not cheaper to build them, but it is right. cheaper to w repair them and such. Okay. Um, but it's really going to depend on the style of house and the soil yeah. conditions that you have. Right. That's the reason that soils report is so critical. But where are you talking uh -huh. about building? 
uh, Italy, and people tell me, which my next question was, a sock tile and some good sand, uh, put it in there. So it is Italy, though. Okay. So with those two things I just mentioned, does that help? Yes. Uh, if you're in a real sandy area, uh, honestly, any type of foundation will be fine because okay. they don't move that much. Where the soils move a great deal is where it's the black gumbo clay soils. Do you know Italy well on what's out there? Uh, it's a mixture. Okay. And if you're having to bring in a bunch of fill, right. you're, whatever you build is going to have to have piers that go down through the fill into the original soil anyways. Okay. And so okay. get that soils report. And, and the soils report will cost you, you know, $1,200, give or take. Right. right. And that is a heck of a lot cheaper than having to repair that foundation. Yeah. Yeah, and doing later. it right the first time when you're doing the install, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah because uh, most foundation problems, people always blame it on the builder. It's not the builder that he built something inferior. It's that they don't do the soils report and build according to what the soils are. And if you do that and then you maintain it, keep tree right. roots away from the house, keep it watered yeah. like you talked about, you, you're, minim you're minimizing the problems. Does um, does does a sock tile, regardless good or bad, um, it, it's extra insurance around the perimeter of the of the home, and so it's taking the uh, water, any water that would get next to the foundation, and running it away. Oh, absolutely! You don't want water pound, ponding next to the foundation by any means. Okay, and then uh, does does your sink, toilet, water in the laundry? So all those lines run together and out from the house, or there's, is there one separate for sewer and one for dirty water, if you will? No, it, they all run together and run out. Okay, my Th last. That's question not to say that. now. Yeah, that's not to say that it can't be built where they run out separate. But okay. the way most uh, areas look at it, it, used to be people tried to dump the gray water separate. Mm -hmm. They pretty much don't like you doing that nowadays. Just run it all together. Yep. Okay. My last question for you, if I'm dealing with some land that has some runoff, somebody, yeah. I, I want to go in there and, and, and dig the ground up. I'm going to take a tractor out there and level it off so it's more level. It's got some little um, little mounds and stuff. I want to. It's about almost uh, two uh, acres, and it's by the side of a creek. So if I dig all that up and level it out and start with an even playing field where it's all even, and I throw some grass down, um, is that going to help with the erosion? Because right now it's going to the creek, and I know we could build a, uh, a retention wall, uh, if you will, but I know that can be pricey. So what's your what's the alternative? If, if I'm somebody said level it out, put some grass down, that's going to absorb a lot, run a few sock yep. piles from the yard out into the creek, that'll help. What are your thoughts? It, all, all of that will help. Uh, and and building the house is going to help with erosion as well because that's going to block some of the runoff. Um, okay. You know, but let me ask you a question: the creek huh? does it does it does it uh, come up out of the banks sometimes? Uh, I don't believe so. No, okay. no. I, it, it's it's a good slope down when you're up at the top. It's probably a good uh, I would say uh, ten feet. Okay. You know, from the and it starts to slope down about ten feet. Um, okay. And there's a tree line though, right at the where it starts to slope. So the way that the land is, it's open in the middle, and when you go towards the creek, there's a tree line. And so 
you know, I thought, well, how are you going to build a retaining wall? Not to mention that it's expensive. But if I could move the dirt around and fill up around the trees and get it somewhat level, what can I do in addition to that without having well, to build a retaining wall? You cannot fill up around the trees because that will kill the tree. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So uh, you can fill up above them, but not not around them. Uh, if you start filling yeah. up around the trunk, uh, right. it, it literally suffocates them. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, okay. So um, with somebody mentioned something about a, a tier system. I didn't understand what that was. Yep. I've never heard of it. Uh, That's where I, you build shorter retaining walls, and mm-hmm. you, you know. You, like you just mentioned 10 feet, so I'll just use that as an example. Instead right. of coming up with a 10-foot wall, come up right. maybe three feet. Gotcha. And you step back about three, four feet, up another three oh. feet, step back and up, and so okay. you're terraced it. Okay. Okay. Makes more sense now. But it, before the retaining wall, since that would be the most pricier thing to, 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 to expense, if I leveled out the ground really well, um, <clears throat> seeded it and put some grass in there. Um, would that help things in, in addition to the house eventually? Uh, you're saying that that would help. Is there anything else I could do? No, the, the, just controlling how fast the water runs. Right. So anything that you put in the way of the water just running down in a sheet will right. help. The biggest thing that's going to help with the erosion is going to be grass. Okay. And so that sock tile will help me too then, right? Let's say if I space it out every... 15, 20 feet and just, you know, run a line from the yard to the creek uh, and dig it down? I mean, would you? how far would you have to go uh, if you put sock tile running from the middle of it down to the creek, three, four feet? Mm, that I'd have to just see the property to do a layout okay. on it. Okay, okay. But that definitely could help as well. Yes, yes. Okay. Well, you've been so kind. I'm sorry to take up all the time here this afternoon. That's but, okay. Uh, there's just things I needed to know. Thank you. God bless yep. you. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Hello, Jim. First, I really like the radio and the TV shows, how to get to the goal, not just the results. I have a new problem in my bathtub. And by that, he means most TV shows, they show you the before and after, and they show you very little what they did to get there. In our TV show, I I really like going through and showing this is how you do the floor leveler. This is how you lay the floor. This is how you do the sheetrock and, you know, all the different things. Why show the before and after? You you can get that at all the high-end shows. We're just Texas Home Improvement, and we want to know how to do it ourselves, right? Anyways, when I turn on the hot water, nope, it says when I turn on the water, I get a whiff or two of what seems to be sewer gas. I've never had that before. After the water runs less than a minute, the smell is gone, and I don't smell it before turning on the water. What are some things I need to check? Thanks, and stay healthy, Bill. Well, Bill, typically what's causing that is there's two dissimilar metals in the water line somewhere. And when there's dissimilar metals, it actually puts an odor into the water. So when the water is just sitting there waiting for the next time you're going to turn it on, that's when the odor is building up. Once you turn the water on and flush flush out the pipe, the odor is gone. So it's just a matter of, of really finding out 
where are these dissimilar pipes. The fact that it's in the tub probably is going to make it rather difficult to find it or to get to it. I shouldn't say find it because more than likely where it's at is on the back where the pipes tie into the faucet itself uh, is a likely spot of having dissimilar metals uh, that are causing this type of issue. Hello, Mary Jo. Hello. Grant, okay. thank you for taking my call. Oh, I, my pleasure. I have a, I have a question. We, we've lived in our house about 15 years, and we've got the standard mirrors in our bathroom, you know, that they had on all the new houses, big square mirrors. Yep. And I have two in the master bath, and um, one is getting the black spots where the faucets, you know, that's right there behind the faucet. And I wanted yes. to put some kind of borders or something that I can put. Um, you know, if they make an adhesive or something decorative, just to hide the get the the spots. Right. I don't want to take the mirrors down and paint the walls just yet. So I will need something that I can leave on the you know leave the mirrors on the wall and um, and do around it. Okay. How much is there space between the backsplash and the bottom of the mirror, or is the mirror all the way down? All the way down. All the way down. Okay. So you're going to be limited on your choices, uh, but not real limited. You can use a wood if you want. You'll have to adhere it, you know, using uh, really just any type of glue will hold it on to there. The problem you're oh. going to run into, though, is it's going to show it, just a little mm -hmm. bit on the edge. So keep your glue further down from the top edge. Okay. Uh, because when you look in the mirror, you're going to be looking back at the back side of whatever you put on there. Sure, uh, sure. Usually, usually you can only see it about a quarter inch or so down, though. Okay. Uh, and, and, and that's only because that's typically about the thickness of the glass. Mm-hmm, mm hmm And so, okay. you know, once you get out of that sight range, uh, you can use whatever you want, and it, it won't show. Uh, so if you use a wood, paint both sides of it before you put it on so it has a nice finish on it. Okay. And keep the adhesive down low away from the the edge where, you know, that you so you don't see it in the reflection. And you can literally glue it to the... The window. You can use a Gorilla Glue. You could use liquid nails. Any of them will hold it on there uh, with no problem for you. Let's head to North Richland Hills. Hello, Mike. Hi, Mr. Dutton. Thanks for taking my call. I'm sitting here with my wife, Marilyn, and uh, we have a, a dilemma here. We've been in our house for approximately 25 years or so, and it's gotten to the point now where the traffic noise on an adjacent road is really driving me nuts and um, we're looking at either purchasing a new home or uh, doing something with the windows to deaden the noise from the traffic we're approximately six seven hundred feet from this major drag here 
Uh, I don't know anything about replacement windows, so I need you to make me smart, make us smart on replacement windows for noise. Energy isn't really a problem. We probably have the lowest electric and natural gas bills in the neighborhood, but the noise is just driving me bananas. Okay, so let me ask you, what do you have for windows now? Uh, they're the construction grade windows that came with the house 25 years ago. Um, single pane windows. Ah, okay. So aluminum frame, single pane. Yes, sir. Uh, you will be amazed at the sound difference going to a double pane vinyl window. Uh, you, you know, I, I'll put it to you this way. If you've ever heard Trey Martin on the show with me, he teases me all the time about Mary, my wife, mowing the yard. Uh, because one time he called in and we were talking about uh, the windows and how much quieter it made. And I said, yeah, there's there goes Mary passing us right now. And I'm I'm doing the show. She's mowing and I don't hear the lawnmower through the window anymore. <laughs> okay. And so he, he brings that up all the time. It really does make that big a difference. When you have the single-pane aluminum frame windows, you hear everything outside because that single piece of glass vibrates the noise right through it. The replacement windows, if you get good replacement windows like American America's Choice window cells, has a 7 8 inch gap between the glass panes plus that argon gas in there. The first window will still vibrate. The second window stops the sound. So pretty much most of the sound that you're hearing at that point is just what's coming through the walls themselves. And on a, you know, a, a home of the age that you're talking about, you're probably not going to hear a whole heck of a lot from outside anymore. Well, it's it's brick, so I I would be surprised if the yeah. sound went through the brick. What do you recommend? Vinyl windows versus aluminum, or triple pane versus a double pane? What would you recommend there? Double pane. Uh, okay. I always recommend double pane. Triple pane costs so much more, and and for energy efficiency, it's really not going to add diddly to to your energy efficiency in our climate. So I always recommend double pane, uh, and I do recommend the vinyl. And the main reason is again is energy efficiency. Uh, aluminum conducts heat through it. Vinyl doesn't. Oh, okay. All right, we'll take a look at that. It'll be a whole lot cheaper than moving and buying a new house than just replacing the windows. Do you um, can you recommend a sound engineer or someone that can take a look outside uh, towards the front yard and recommend some sort of a sound barrier or anything like that? Is some, is that oh. done? Well, you can put in sound barriers. Anything that's in front uh, is it, you know that blocks the view is also going to be blocking sound. Okay. So whether you put a, a row of hedges up there or I've seen some people put berms, you know, and along highways, you see all the concrete barrier walls. That's simply right. to block the sound. Okay. So any type well, of fencing maybe the, would, would block the sound. Okay. Well, maybe we could put up a hedge and get away with that with the uh, city zoning and all that because I, I think they'd frown on a wall. Yeah, yeah, they would probably frown upon a wall. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you very much. You've well, been very helpful. I, I, really I got to ask you a question first before you go, though. Sure. Typically, when I have this type of question, I have both husband and wife on. One is in favor of moving. One is in favor of putting in windows. So who did I just make happy and upset? No, we're both happy. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah, actually, uh, neither one of us really wants to move. We we really like the house. We like the floor plan. We uh, other than the traffic noise, we like our neighbors. We like where we live. But it's just it's gotten to the point now. I just retired from a, a major company here in the Metroplex that uh, is in the transportation industry, and I just, you know, I've had enough with the traffic noise. Yep. I just had it. That well, was that was the problem. I think you'll find it if you put in the replacement windows. You'll you'll be happy with what you got. My nephew has a 30 by 40 pole barn covered with metal, no insulation. Building faces west. Would installing a couple of windows and adding an exhaust fan help with the heat? Would it be worth the money to have it done, or should it be insulated with foam first? Thanks. Well, anything anything you do to move air would help, but I tell you, take a look at a radiant barrier. That's going to be the biggest bang for the buck that you're going to get as far as making that home or that metal building more comfortable. If you put a radiant barrier, and I'm talking about just this bubble-type radiant barrier that you can go into any uh, Lowe's or Home Depot and pick up. It comes in these big rolls. It kind of looks like bubble wrap that you're wrapping dishes in. Uh, You can put that over the siding inside, and you'll lower the temperature in that building 15 degrees, making it much, much more comfortable to work in. And yes, having the windows and fans and stuff would help, but personally, I'd start with the radiant barrier and see if I even need to bother with that. I have it on my metal buildings, and let me tell you, it can be 100 degrees outside. You're in the shade, like underneath a shade tree when you're inside the metal building and got the overhead doors open. It is comfortable working. That really is the best way to uh, take care of it. So hopefully that will help you out with that, and and you don't have to worry about uh, trying to cut holes in for windows and fans and run power and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's just a much easier way to do it. Bill, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. How can I help you? Okay, thank you. Um, I'm uh, remodeling a house, and I need to replace a couple of HVAC systems. And um, I was wondering, wanted to get your thoughts on installing dehumidifiers as a part of that. Well, an AC system is a big dehumidifier. Right. But there, I think you can buy, I guess, I guess supplemental units, and I'm just wondering if that's worth the money or. Well, the only time I would recommend that as being worth the money is if you like to keep the temperature high. Uh, you know, if you're keeping your temperature down at say 73, uh-huh. it, the air conditioner is going to take care of the dehumidification with no problem. If you like okay. to keep it warmer, where you like it up at, say, 78, mm-hmm. uh, it's going to struggle because it's not running long enough to dehumidify properly. And then, yes, a dehumidifier could help. Now, some of the, the newer AC systems that have variable speed, mm-hmm. that can be uh, adjusted for dehumidification without having to add on a dehumidifier as well. Okay. All right. So you think that's probably the way to go? I personally like that better simply because uh, the system stays on, it dehumidifies, it does everything it's mm-hmm. supposed to do. You know, the the cooling of the air is actually a secondary process of an AC system. It, it Its main thing it does is dehumidify. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, that sure helps. I appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. Take care.
Brett, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. I have a 1971 built home that I renovated and put um, a tankless water system into. And I had a plumber in the other day and told me I need to put something in to reduce the acidity of the discharge water because the old probably old piping underneath the house would would uh, be damaged by the um, by the water coming out of the hot water heater. Is that true? It, and this is a 1970s home. Yes, 1971 Bill Home. Oh, 71. Okay. So that's around the time they were making the switch from cast iron to PVC. Do you know if you have cast iron drain lines? I'm pretty sure they're going to be cast iron. Okay. If you have cast iron, yes, it can add to the deterioration of the pipes. But I will tell you up front, even if you... Uh, didn't ever put that that discharge into there, you're still going to have the deterioration of those pipes. Uh, the okay. cast iron, it, it, it lives its life, and it's done. Uh, could this speed it up a little bit? Probably so, but not that much. All right. I appreciate the information. Thank you very much. Enjoy your show. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Take care. Bye now. And, yeah, right. And, and and keep in mind, cast iron pipes go bad. They, they deteriorate with just the soil contact, with with uh, the chemicals we've run through the, the ground. But they just crack on their own as they age as well. And what's happened is pretty much if your home was built in the 50s and 60s or earlier, that pipe is shot and being replaced. They carried cast iron into the beginning of the 70s. Some cities required it as late as 74, 75, but pretty much everybody after, uh, by then was going to PVC. And I'll be honest with you, I think we're going to have problems with some of the PVC down the road as well in that it becomes brittle and breaks because I'm just starting to see a little bit of that here and there on some of the, the joints and stuff. So I, I don't think that's going to be the end all to save all, but it's what we have available material wise right now. Let's rotted post at base of pergola. She has cedar six by six posts were set in concrete with about three inches of sand above the concrete. Posts are rotting above the cement. Would wood hardener followed with wood filler correct the problem? Other solutions question mark. Well, you know, if it's just on the edge that's rotting that way, yeah, you could probably get away with doing that. Uh, but if it's rotted deep down in and all the way through, no, that's not going not gonna to fix it. Uh, at, at that, you'd end up cutting the post off and, and going down with something. And, and uh, let me, I guess, first start saying if you're putting in cedar posts, make sure you run the concrete up above ground level and dome it so the water runs off away from the cedar post. I typically don't even mix the concrete. I'll use dry sackcrete, pack it in the ground around it, and let the soil's moisture, you know, flow in and set the concrete up. And uh, But as far as fixing this rotten, uh, 
you know, sometimes it's it's tough to to say exactly what to do if I if I can't see it. But the fact that you're in the concrete means that you could fill in underneath, you know, take out all the rotten stuff, put a a filler in there, and then boards trim boards around it to cover the base just above the concrete. So uh, honestly, I have filled some with concrete before. Jacket back, if it's rotted to the point where it'll start settling on itself, you can jack it up to where you need it, put concrete in there, whether it is a, uh, a wet mix that you pack in there, you can use a non-shrink grout, uh, or if you got room, since this is just a, a regular 6x6, six six, you get a block that's 6x6 six six and stick it in there. Therefore, it doesn't rot, you know. Set the post down on it, trim around it. Now, the issue you can run into with this is you've kind of killed your wind capability on it because it's no longer anchored down when this happens. So if it's got to be anchored down, then you got to look for an alternative way of fixing it. But... Uh, without me seeing it or being able to talk to you, I, I can't don't really have a, a great answer for you. If it's just again the edges, yes, you can do what you're talking about using a wood hardener and and wood filler to fill in the space. But truly, if it's rotted off, that's not going to fix the problem for you. We're short on space, so the new pool equipment will need to go next to the AC unit. Is this safe? The AC people said he's heard where there's the part is on the AC unit tend to wear faster. That's the way it's written. But basically what she's saying is, is the pool equipment going to shorten the lifespan of the AC system? And honestly, it can. And here's why. If you have a chlorine-type pool or a salt-type pool, that's the only two available right now both of those are toxic to metal it'll cause them to corrode and so by having either salt or the chlorine too close to your air conditioning system the housing can start metal or can start to uh, rust and deteriorate it can affect the fins uh, on your AC system and the way the AC works is it draws <clears throat> through those fins to heat and cool the house and so uh, short answer is yes, it actually can affect it. But what are you going to do if you don't have the space? You, you really got no choice but to put it where, where it's congested. Now, if you can keep a, a couple feet apart, you can put up a barrier between the, the, two, the two pieces, between the pump and the uh, AC system. And let's face it, we're all getting used to seeing barriers when we go into the stores and stuff now. Plexiglass barriers are everywhere. Well, you can build a wooden barrier or uh, you know, any type of barrier like that to keep the fumes and stuff from getting onto the AC. So short answer, absolutely, it can make a difference. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.